We bow with me for a short prayer. Father, my prayer today is that you would encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak as we consider our unfathomable riches in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. My text this morning is, again, Ephesians 3.8. It is our launching pad text, and it goes like this. Paul says, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So Paul was an apostle chosen by Christ to bring his word. He was blown away by this privilege. This, he called it grace. He was in prison when he wrote that. He still calls it grace. And the joy of his life was to unpack and unfold for his former enemies, the very unsearchable, incalculable, unfathomable treasures of Jesus Christ. Paul would also say in the book of Colossians that in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So that brings me to my title this morning. It is True Wealth, and this is part two of three, if you're wondering. Charles Schwab, that uh, famous investment firm, Money Managers, they did a survey of 1,000 Americans online, ages 21 to 75, and they asked several questions. And one of the questions that they asked in the survey is, what makes for a daily rich life? Here are the top five answers in order. Number one, time with family. Number two, time for myself. Number three, to own my own home. Number four, eating out. Number five, to have a subscription to Netflix. So, so wait, wait, let me get this straight. If I go home today from church and I pick me up some fatty, greasy, calorie-laden fast food, and I go to my maintenance, high-maintenance, mortgage-laden house and and, and binge on the couch on Netflix with some people in the room who share some of my DNA. <laughs> my fellow Americans call this a daily rich life. Not in the top five. Access to the Bible. Prayer. Church. Serving other people. Okay, pastor, you're getting all spiritual on us, okay? Not in the top five. Work. Exercise. Learning. Reading a book. Are you kidding me? Owning a house and eating out and Spotify is what makes for a rich life? Well, that's what your fellow Americans think. Nowhere on the list. Top 5, top 10, top 100, it won't be on the list. Is anything to do with the unfathomable riches of Christ. Well, we, walk, we walk by a different list, don't we? We have, a, we have a different drum beat. We have a different set of values, I hope. I pray, I trust that as believers in Christ, our top 5 would look radically different from that. Well, this is part two, and so by way of review, where have we been so far as we've explored some of these treasures in our treasure chest that Christ has given us? 
three incomparable treasures last week. They're all in chapter one, which Toby read for us so well. Thank you. So last week we saw number one, we were chosen for salvation before the foundation of the world. And this was in Christ. And we saw that we have been predestined to adoption as sons through Christ. And we saw that we have been redeemed and forgiven because of Christ. And so if you were not here last week, that was last week's uh, three treasures. And I want to kind of change the analogy this week and think of these as direct deposits into our spiritual bank account. And, and we've looked at three so far, and I'm going to give you two more this morning. Two more such direct deposits that are just dropped right into our spiritual bank account. And how glorious they are. This will be number four on our list then, in total. We are heirs of God in Christ. Look at Ephesians 1, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians 1, verses 11 and 12. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. Our fourth direct deposit is we are heirs of God in Christ. Now let's look at this verse closely. It begins at the end of verse 10 and it says in him. So once again, these, these spiritual riches are only found one place. They're only found in the person of the Lord Jesus. They're wrapped up in him, bound in him. If, if you want these riches, you have to go to Christ and Christ alone. He is the sphere and the realm in which they are found. He is the field in which this treasure is, is discovered. They are, they are in Him. The way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father. The only one who reconciles us to a holy God. In Him, and then in verse 11, also. And I just, I just stop there on that word also. Because Paul is once again piling up these riches for us. He is once again Showing us that they are just beyond our comprehension. This also tells me, you know, when it rains, it pours. <laughs> this grace has been lavished upon us. Lavished upon us. Not with an eyedropper. Not with a 10-gallon bucket. But with an ocean. <laughs> an ocean of grace has been poured out. In Him also. He says we. He includes himself. All Christians. In him also we have. Now look at this carefully. This is what blew me away this week. We have obtained an inheritance. It's not we are going to enjoy an inheritance eventually. It's not we will receive an inheritance at some future point in time. It is past tense. It has already happened. We have obtained this inheritance. It's already happened. It's as good as done. This is incredible riches. An inheritance that belongs to God and He has given it to us already. It was so important to God that we would have this inheritance that He wasn't going to mess around with it. He wasn't going to let us mess this up. He wasn't going to let us squander it. He wasn't going to let us do something stupid to, to lose it. And so it is so important to God, verse 11. Michael, can you turn me down some? I feel like I'm just... Am I loud, Dill? Am I okay? Is it okay? All right. It's just me. All right. So... Verse 11, this is so important to God that He predetermined and predestined that it would happen. You see that in verse 11? According to the one who works everything according to His will, especially this inheritance. What an incredible thing this is. 
Now help me to under, help, I'm going to help you to understand this. God has one biological child, if you will. God has one true and legitimate son, right? The one and only, the only begotten son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. And this one and only son is the true and legitimate heir to everything God the Father owns, everything God the Father has created. Jesus is the heir, right? You with me? And this is appropriate. It is legitimate. He earned it. But God the Father also has many, many adopted children. He has one true biological son, if you will, but he has many adopted children. Wow, he's got a lot of adopted. He's got millions. He's got millions of adopted children in his family. So what is the unfathomable part? The unfathomable part is that the adopted children had the exact same inheritance as the one and only son. The inheritance of Jesus Christ is our inheritance. We are joint heirs with Christ. This is the unfathomable, incomprehensible part of this. He deserves it. We don't. We should have been written out of the will. He enacted the will by his bloody death. There is one true deserving heir and we actually have the exact same inheritance he has. Paul talks about these two concepts in another place. The concept of adoption and the concept of inheritance. And it's in Romans 8 if you want to turn over to it for a moment. Romans 8, a few pages in your Bible to the left. In verse 15, Paul has these two same thoughts in mind. He says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. This, this response from our redeemed hearts recognizes God is now our Father, no longer our judge who is condemning us. He is now our Father who has reconciled us. And we cry out from deep within our souls, no longer bound up in a spirit of slavery, but as uh, given now this spirit of adoption. Verse 16. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit Himself testifies or witnesses with our human spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God, and if children, what's next? Heirs also. Heirs of God. And fellow heirs or joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. So we are heirs of God in Christ. This is our fourth unfathomable riches, uh, richness. This is our fourth direct deposit that has been dropped into our account all based on grace. And I thought it would be a good time right now to just say, what is this inheritance? If we are going to share in the very inheritance of Christ, what is this? Well, it's, it's multifaceted, beloved. And so it begins right here. It begins with our eventual bodily resurrection. We will be raised from the dead at the rapture of the church... Unless we're a living, then we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be glorified in that moment. We will be given a new body. We will be given a glorified body. Just like Christ. 
He was raised, we will be raised. He's given a glorified body, we receive a glorified body. A body that can no longer hurt or die or suffer. Just as it says of Christ in Romans 6, death no longer has dominion over him, so it will be said of us, death no longer has dominion over them. Our inheritance begins right there. We're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. We're going to be made like him in his resurrection glory. But it's more than that. We're going to be rewarded by Christ just as Christ was rewarded by the Father. We're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And and He's going to pour out rewards on His faithful children for their obedience and service. But it's more than that. We are then going to reign with Christ for a thousand years on this earth. We are going to reign with the King of Kings. This is part of our inheritance. Part of His inheritance is God gives Him the world to reign over it. Part of our inheritance is the meek shall inherit the earth. And we reign over it with Christ. But it's more than that. At the end of the thousand year reign of Christ, we are going to reign with Christ in the eternal kingdom forever and ever. Our inheritance includes the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. It includes the new eternal Eden, the new holy of holies. We've gone through that in the book of Revelation. I won't belabor the point. All of that stuff in Revelation 21 and 22 is part of our inheritance because it's part of His inheritance. You see. So from the resurrection of our body, glorification, reigning with Christ, a thousand years reigning with Christ for eternity. Yeah, that's all it is. That's all, that's all you have coming, child of God, heir of God. So I ask the question, why do we get downcast? Why do we get discouraged? Or here's a phrase that my grandparents used to say, why do we get poor in the mouth? Does anybody say that anymore? That's a southern thing. You, you northerners ever heard that? <laughs> poor in the mouth. Is a southern thing of your countenance. It's just all sad. Why does that happen to us as Christians? If this is our inheritance and we have it plainly spelled out for us in the Bible, we've already obtained it. We've all, we already have it. Why do we live at times like we don't have it? Well, I think the answer is what I will call spiritual cataracts. Spiritual cataracts begin to grow over our spiritual eyes and what was once clear is foggy and blurry and dim. And these spiritual cataracts keep us from seeing what we already possess. We lose sight of what we have. We're like Elisha's servant. You remember that story? Elisha's servant couldn't see what was there. Well, here's the background. The king of Aram hated the prophet Elisha. Didn't like the man, didn't like his prophecies. He found out from his spies that Elisha was in the city of Dothan. And so the king of Aram sent troops to surround the city of Dothan. He sent horses, he sent chariots, and he sent a great army. And they were on one mission to kill Elisha, a prophet of God. They surround the city. Elisha's there with his servant. They see this human force that is coming to take their life. And Elisha's servant freaks out. He says, alas, my master, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, well, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to be afraid. That's the starting thing. Do not fear is what he tells him. He says, do not fear because there are more with us 
than there are with them. And I'm sure the, I'm sure the servant is like, you have lost your mind. There's two of us and there's thousands of them. What are you talking about? And so Elisha at that moment prays to God. He says, oh Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opens his eyes that he may see. And his servant sees surrounding them horses and chariots of fire, right? Chariots of fire, angelic chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. That's exactly what we need. What does Paul do then after telling these Ephesian believers about the inheritance that they've already obtained? Look at verse 18. He prays that they can see it. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that the spiritual cataracts get cut away, that the light shines so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. That's it. So that you will know it. So that you will know, look at the next line, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance? Of his inheritance, it's his, and it's among the saints, and it's in the saints, and it's with the saints, and it's so gloriously rich. And Paul says, now that I've told you about it, all that is left to do is to pray that you can see it. Just like Elisha prayed for his servant. That's your application of this first point this morning. The fourth direct deposit into our spiritual account. Your application is that you will pray for yourself and for others to have your eyes enlightened so that you know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And some of you right now are saying, that's it? That's the application? Yes, that's the application. Nothing other than prayer. Pray for yourself and pray for others that their eyes might be enlightened. This is how we pray for each other. We are heirs of God then in Christ. But you know in this life, an inheritance can be lost, can it? An inheritance can be lost a lot of different ways. First of all, the person who owns the inheritance, can squander it or spend it before you can even receive it, right? That's a way an inheritance can be lost. You see, an inheritance in this world is no sure thing. You may think it's a sure thing, but there's no, there's no such thing as a sure thing in this world. Well, there's other ways an earthly inheritance can be lost. You can get cut out, right? You can get cut out of the will. Happens all the time. Sometimes for really good reasons, right? People just do stupid stuff, sinful stuff. And, and those who are in control of the estate say, no, you crossed the line right there. Cutting you out. Cutting you out of the will. Sometimes it's completely arbitrary, right? People just, just decide for no good reason. Going to cut you out of the will. Is this something we should worry about with our inheritance? Is this something that we should fret over? Well, there are a lot of Christians that would say yes. 
There are a lot of Christians that would say, yes, you can lose your inheritance. Yes, you can lose your salvation. Yes, you can squander it. Yes, you can cross a line where God says, oh, you went too far that time. That sin was too bad. That's it. I'm cutting you out of the will. There are Christians that believe that this is possible. Well, what does the word of God say? Look at verses 13 and 14. This is our fifth direct deposit This answers the question, should we worry about losing our inheritance? In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance Of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. To the praise of his glory. Number five. You are sealed in Christ. Now it occurred to me this morning as I was reviewing my notes. Both of our points this morning have a common denominator. We're going to see more of these riches next week. But the two this morning have a common denominator and that is security. The common denominator is our eternal security. Whether we look at it as an inheritance that we've already obtained, it is so good to go and it's going to happen so certainly that Paul speaks of it as something we've already obtained. Or we talk about being sealed in Christ. Whether we're talking about the inheritance that God will keep for us or us that He will keep for it. In either case, security is the common denominator of these two riches. Those who are truly saved can never be lost Those who have been found will never be rejected. Those who are born again will never be spiritually put to death. Those who are justified will never have that decision of the highest court reversed. And God decides, no, actually I'm going to go back and condemn you. This is impossible. Those who have been given eternal life actually were given eternal life. How long is that? Forever. Well, we have been sealed in Christ. Look at this with me. Look at the text, verse 13. In Him... You also, and now he tells us when this happened, this sealing ministry, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. After sitting in a church or across from a kitchen table or a friend at school or your parents at the bedside, wherever it was, however it was, and you were listening to the message of truth, the truth about God, the truth about yourself, the truth about your sin, the truth about Christ dying on a cross, being raised from the dead after listening to this message of truth, the good news of salvation from sin, the good news that God reconciles sinners to himself, calls off his wrath, pours out his grace. After you were listening to that, and then look at the next line, having also believed. See, it's not enough to just listen. It's not enough to just understand. It's not enough to just hear it. It's not enough to just give mental assent to these facts. You must believe. You must trust. You must give your heart to these truths and lean completely on the truth and the promise of the gospel. Having also believed, you were sealed. The sealing did not happen until you believed. It happens at the moment of our conversion then. The moment we are born again, we exercise faith and repentance, we are sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the when is having believed. The what is a sealing ministry. I'll talk about that more in a moment. The where is in Christ. 
And the with whom is with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit who is God. This idea of a sealing goes back to ancient times. When a person would create a document, they would roll up that scroll and then they would put a seal on the end of it. Like we would seal an envelope. They would seal that document with this soft, gooey substance like a melted wax. And, and then oftentimes they would take a signet ring and they would impress their particular unique signet into the soft seal to give that document validity. This now legitimizes the document. And it, and it says the owner of this document has sealed it with his own seal. That's the idea here. It's authentication, it's reality, it's ownership, it's this is mine, this is true, you can trust this. It would be like our notary public function in our culture. You know, you've got a document and it needs to stand up in a court of law. There might be a potential lawsuit over this issue someday. And so you have to go sign this document in front of a notary public. And then they take that little thing out and they, and they squeeze it into the paper, right? And they permanently put this seal into the paper saying, I, I authenticate that the person who signed this is in front of me and so forth. This sealing then that he speaks of here marks us as belonging to God forever. It is God's signet ring on the softness of our heart, if you will, impressing upon us His own image. We have been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And this seal is none other than the work of God the Holy Spirit. Marking us as belonging to our Heavenly Father. We might think of it this way. Our salvation is a business transaction of sorts. We have already been purchased at the cross of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. He purchased men for God with His blood, right? That has already happened. We have been redeemed. We have been ransomed. So then what happens in salvation is God comes to the individual sinner by the power of the gospel... And in the person of the Holy Spirit, listen now, God comes and lays claim on what He has already purchased. He lays hold of what belongs to Him. This is this business transaction of sorts. He says, this one is mine. I claim this one for myself. I claim all of them. I claim their body. I claim their soul. I claim their spirit. I claim every aspect of them. I get all of them in total. And I give myself to them in total. And this is the business transaction. This is what happens in conversion. When God lays claim on His purchased possession. But then He leaves us here for a while. He leaves us here for a while to be tested, to suffer. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. He leaves us here for a while. He's purchased us. He's laid claim to us. But He doesn't give us our glorified body right away. He doesn't bring us home to heaven right away. He leaves us here. For ministry. He leaves us here for evangelism. He leaves us here to be tested and to grow up in Christ. He leaves us here for struggles. 
difficulties, and sometimes a hard, hard road of life. And we're caught in this in-between. We're justified and God's laid hold of us and we belong to God, but we have not yet received our glorified body, but we have this inheritance. And it's so certain. It's as if we've already obtained it, but we're not. We're like Bill Gates' daughter. We're not, we're not enjoying it yet. It's ours. We're just not spending it yet. We're not enjoying it yet. So we're in this in-between. And some of these trials can be severe. And some of these tests that we have in this in-between can rattle us to the core of our being. And so God decided to assure them that they will reach this inheritance. I'm going to give them earnest money in the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put down earnest money on this possession. I'm going to put down a down payment. And the down payment is none other than God the Holy Spirit. The most powerful, most valuable, most glorious, not thing, but person God could give us to secure us for our inheritance. This is just Mind-blowing. In Christ, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, who is given as a pledge, who is given as earnest money, who is given as a down payment of our inheritance. There's more to come. God gives us this down payment, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and He says there's more to come when I finish this transaction. Verse 14, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. That's our future resurrection. When our bodies are redeemed from the grave. With a view to our resurrection to the praise of His glory. We might say it this way, the entire Trinity. Did you see it? God the Father seals us in the Son and He does so with the Holy Spirit. The entire Trinity is vested in our being vested in our Spiritual retirement account. <laughs> you, you are already vested. You have to work 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. You don't have to work at all. From the moment you believed, you were vested in infinite riches that make everything this world offers look like peanut shells. This is so glorious. God is not into day trading. God is not into short-term capital gains. God is a long-term investor. He has a long-term in view. And His term is eternity. And a people conformed to the image of His Son. This is what Paul had in mind in Romans where he said, Whom He foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. Whom He foreknew, this is all in eternity past. See, God's about eternity to eternity. Whom He foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. Whom He predestined, He called. That's the gospel. Whom He called, He justified. Whom He justified, He also what? Glorified. Past tense. It's so certain, He puts it in the past tense. It can't be lost. This is the golden chain of redemption. If you start at foreknowledge, you end up at glorification. You don't drop out. No one drops out. 
Whom he foreknew, he predestined. Whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. This is why Paul wrote in Romans 8 that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Not life, not death, not angels, not principalities, not powers, not things present, not things to come, not the past, not the devil, not your sin, not any person, not any man. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, which is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are secure. We are secure in Him. We have these five, so far, direct deposits that have been put into our account. With those in our account, God looks there and He looks at us and guess what He sees? Guess what he sees when he sees a believer? He sees someone of incalculable worth. He sees a treasure of worth beyond estimation. What do you do when you have a treasure beyond estimation? An heirloom. Something so precious, so valuable. What do you do? You do whatever it takes to protect it. Right? To guard it. How secure is Fort Knox right now? You do whatever it takes to secure it. And this is exactly what God did by way of illustration. He took that precious treasure, the believer, and he put them in a safe called Jesus Christ. He locked them inside Jesus Christ. And no one can crack this safe. No one can break into this safe. No one can overpower this safe. Then... God took another step and he said, I'm going to take the safe and they're inside there and I'm going to put a force field security system around the safe. And that force field is his Holy Spirit who is sealing the safe, wrapping the safe, enclosing the safe. Now there is this security system that no man can outsmart and no one can overpower. It's a force field. How do you... How do you defeat a force field? And then God says, but that's not yet all that I'm going to do. Now God the Father stands guard 24-7 on the safe. So we're locked inside of Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit, and guarded there by the Father himself, who will never lose one of his children. Go with me to John 10. John chapter 10 and verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. If you believe that you can lose your salvation, then you do not believe the words of Jesus. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one can crack this safe. This is the omnipotent Son of God. He alone would be enough for your eternal security. Verse 29. My Father. This is a proud son right here. Boasting in his Father. My Father who has given them to me. These sheep. He is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Oh, what a strong hand this is. Omnipotent hand. Verse 30. I and the Father are one. 
So it begs the question, why does God go to such extremes? Why such a Trinitarian security for every single believer? Why such extremes, God? Because of the price paid for their redemption. The value God places on us is the value He places on His Son. We were bought with a price, the very blood of Jesus. It has infinite value, thus this level of security. In a word, unfathomable. Amen? Unfathomable riches of Christ. Chosen, predestined, redeemed, heirs, sealed. We are both rich and secure. (laughs) It's one thing to be rich. It's another thing to be rich and secure perfectly forever. Do you have one of those bank apps on your phone? I don't know how we lived without those before. These are great. I get into my bank account on my bank app on my phone through my thumbprint. My thumbprint is my security that opens it up on my phone. Nobody else has this thumbprint, and I'm getting into my account. Now, I'm sure many of you are doing the same thing. How shocked would you be one day to just go in there to check your account, you know, and going to go in and make sure your direct deposit from work has been deposited on time? How shocked would you be to open that up with your thumbprint and all of a sudden you start seeing these astronomical direct deposits into your account that you did not work for, that you did not earn. I mean, they've just been dropped in here. And and the numbers are so big, you have to take your phone and turn it sideways (laughs) because the zeros just keep going. Like, what is this? And then you start looking at them and try to understand what you have in your account. And and you go, wow, some of these have a really strange date. They're dated eternity past. Never seen that before. And then one of them is dated in the first century. Another is the date of your conversion. What would you do next? I think you would want to find out who did this so that I can thank them profusely. And then I think you're going to run and share and tell everybody you know how wealthy you are in Christ. And you're going to tell everybody you know how they can get rich too. Can you get rich quick? Yeah, you can this way. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you get rich quick. You obtain an inheritance that God preserves for you and He seals you, preserving you for it. And it'll take us all of eternity to spend it. Let's pray. 
Father, these are unfathomable riches. Heirs of God and sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit, we could spend eternity just trying to plumb the depths of just these two deposits. We thank you that these direct deposits are directly from you, that they are by grace and not works, that we don't earn them, we don't deserve them, and therefore we cannot lose them. God, I thank you today that every believer in this place has infinite spiritual wealth beyond anything that they could have ever imagined or dreamed of, and we are just scratching the surface. Because until we see you face to face, until we're in our glorified body, we really have no idea. So God, use this truth today to give hope to the hopeless, to give strength to the weary, to bind up the wounds, to strengthen the feeble legs, to to help those who are downcast, who are poor in the mouth. May the truth of the reality that we've seen here do this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.